The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for the show today. So today we're going to be exploring the healing benefits of ayahuasca. And you may have heard stories of people traveling to South America and other locations to experience the psychoactive effects of ayahuasca. And I've been hearing a lot more about this over the past few years, and I think it's really fascinating. So ayahuasca, if you don't know what it is, it's a drink used for spiritual and religious purposes by ancient Amazonian tribes, and it's still used as a sacred beverage by some religious communities in Brazil and South America. And many people have been discovering ayahuasca for things like depression, PTSD, addiction issues, and other illnesses. And I just am going to dive into this today. I think this topic is so fascinating. It's fascinating. I've been reading a lot about it. And I just read a recent article on healthline.com about the healing effects and long-term health benefits of taking ayahuasca and also how it can benefit things like diabetes that I wasn't aware of. So we're going to get into this really cool subject and uh, break it down for you today and give you the real story on ayahuasca and how it might be able to help you. So I'm really happy to welcome my guest today. I first met Tony Moss last year at the Parliament of World Religions in Toronto, which was just an amazing, mind-blowing event. And what caught my eye was Tony was standing in front of a brightly colored booth that said ayahuasca in big letters. (laughs) So of course I walked over there. I'm like, what is going on? So I went over and we had a great conversation that I taped as part of another show called A Seeker's Guide to the Parliament of World Religions that you can download from unityonlineradio.org. Just go under my tab, Diane Ray, Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. You'll find that there. So Tony is a really cool guy. He's a visual recording artist, a visual and recording artist, event producer and founder of I Am Life, which is a nonprofit event production project focused on interconnectivity. And Tony has over 20 years of experience with plant medicine and entheogens, as ayahuasca is categorized as, and he's an advocate for the decriminalization and responsible use of all plant medicine. So I wanted to get him on the show today for a deeper conversation about ayahuasca. So Tony joins me today from LA, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. Well, welcome to the show. So Tony, I know that ayahuasca is derived from a plant, but I think a lot of people are not sure exactly what the plant is, you know, and its properties and how it really works. So can you just give like kind of the basic 101 of ayahuasca? Yeah. So uh, without going into the the science and the pharmacology of it, which everyone can uh, get online, um, ayahuasca is basically a tea that is a combination of two plants, um, a vine called Banisteriopsis copy and leaves, uh, which are commonly known as charcuna. And, um, when combined, they create a very powerful psychoactive um, effect. And they are considered, well, the beverage itself is definitely considered a medicine or a sacrament as opposed to a drug, uh, mainly because it's predominantly used almost exclusively for psychospiritual and healing work. 
And how is ayahuasca prepared? So the combination of the vine and the leaves, the vine has a kind of rough exterior bark. So that is typically broken down because that doesn't contain uh, the medicine that you're, you're interested in. And it's also bitter. So they first uh, break the vine and it looks like a, like a DNA spiral typically. And so that's broken down. All the outer bark is removed. And then the vine itself is ground into um, kind of its more fibrous content. So it's a lot of like uh, very long strips. And that is boiled, layered in a pot, uh, vine leaf, vine leaf. And then it's boiled for hours and hours and hours, depending on um, you know, who's brewing it and uh, the various you know, traditions of making it. And the result is uh, oftentimes, but not always, a very thick brown colored, um, relatively bitter tasting, but not always, um, tea that the curanderos, which the people in the West are calling shamans, use for either they take it themselves to kind of diagnose patients. And from that process, they might also prescribe ayahuasca for the patients. Um, that's traditional. These days, people are flocking to South America and you know the Amazon, and of course in the United States, really for psycho spiritual work, not for specific uh, like healing or for like a physical ailment. I was watching a show not too long ago on the Vice Channel. I don't know if you if you've ever seen it. It was called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, and this guy uh, goes down to South America and they showed the whole process of how they prepared ayahuasca. And it seemed like it's a long process, right? I mean, it takes oh, a yeah. while to get this to where you really want it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the harvesting, of course, um, unless the vine and the leaf um, are being cultivated, you know, so they're, you know, close by. Um, typically, um, you have to go foraging for it, you know, and the indigenous people and people making it, of course, know where it is. So you have to collect the vine, and the vine can be huge. I mean, it can grow, you know, two stories into a tree and be, you know, a couple of feet in diameter at its base. And so they have to climb high enough to get the thinner vines that you actually want to work with. And then, of course, you have to go and you find the bush, uh, Psychotropus viridis, that's a chacuna leaf. And then you pick the amount of leaves that you want. And in both cases, you're harvesting the plant in a way that is sustainable, that the plant itself stays and regenerates itself yeah then you've got to bring them back as i mentioned you've got to strip all the outer bark off the vine and meanwhile you've got to clean all the leaves typically individually because they can have you know dirt and you know moss and things growing on them and after that arduous process then there's a process of laying it into the pots you know continually adding water because it's you know boiling away and um that can be any the minimum probably for a weaker brew, like four or five, six hours, but oftentimes like overnight. Yeah. I think this is so fascinating because um I'm I'm a big fan of uh teachers and authors like Ram Das and I read Be Here Now and, and all of his books and his experience with psychedelics and kind of the spiritual revelation that he came to through the use of it you know, just totally changing his life, going from Richard Alpert to Ram Dass. You know, so many people have read that story. And if you do a little more digging, you know, studies with psychedelics started back in the 1950s when more than 25,000 doses of psychedelic drugs were administered to thousands of people. And it was accepted then, you know, that they had value, especially for things like depression. And some people have reported after one LSD experience, they ended years of tradition. I mean, years of dep depression when traditional things failed, when 
regular right. therapies failed. People just had these amazing experiences. Then these studies were were canceled, you know, back in the 60s, just because people kind of the drug got out, there was a lot of abuse of it. And then the government restricted a lot of the research, but things have started to change, especially over the past few years, you know, institutions like Johns Hopkins have been approving clinical trials. So can you can you shed any light on that on any of the recent studies that you're aware of, you know, now it's becoming, uh, you know, more accepted to look back on this, and you know, improve the research and have more research into using things like ayahuasca? Yeah, you know, it's a very checkered and interesting history. As you mentioned, you know, the the explosion of plant medicines and psychedelics um, that occurred in the 60s was profound. You know, it, um, it was a, a renaissance in a sense, you know, um, that suddenly these ancient plants you know, and the the very recent ones, LSD, you know, um, a lot of people hadn't even heard of them, you know, and suddenly they were showing a lot of great promise in helping people with everything from anxiety, depression, you know, some physical ailments as well. Um, a lot of people were getting the first glimpses into, um, you know, a spiritual path, you know, um, in some sense enlightenment. And as you mentioned, because of a combination of abuse and, of course, coordinated propaganda, we went into the period which we're just easing out of, which we call the prohibition. And fortunately, you know, what that really did was drive the psychedelic and plant medicine use underground, um, which meant that we still have a lot of anecdotal and, in some cases, kind of clinical research and evidence um, that when the current psychedelic renaissance took off, we actually had a lot of info. Um, and research to pull on, which opened up the path. What we're seeing now, which is like the first, you know, um, legalized clinical research trials of MDMA, psilocybin, um, LSD, you know, and t- to some degree, DMT, um, you know, and San Pedro are uh, in the early stages too of probably what we would call like sanctioned clinical trials of their uh, health benefits. Yeah, so it's very exciting, you know. Um, I think that the main emphasis now is on um, mushrooms and psilocybin. You know, that's the, uh, the the aspect of mushrooms that we're focused on, and LSD for healing things like uh, PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Uh, and so it's very exciting. And of course, you know, as you mentioned in the introduction to me, I'm very committed to and interested in the decriminalization of all plant medicines. And the reason is that. Um, when they were scheduled, that was really part of a war on drugs in quotation marks, uh, propaganda campaign and prohibition. And to, to some degree, because we weren't quite ready for the power of these substances, um, I would say to some degree that was probably appropriate. The problem is that when you schedule a drug, schedule one, you're, the definition of that, are, I think it's something like very high potential for addiction and abuse with no medical you know, value whatsoever. Well, that's not true of any of the plant medicines across the board. And that's why I'm in favor of the decriminalization of them. I'm not saying they should be legalized that every young person in America could, you know, go to the corner store and buy them. I'm referring to the taking them off of Schedule 1, acknowledging that they have potential medical and other benefits, and therefore, the research can continue because we're, we're only just beginning to understand the incredible potential. 
you know, both for the you know, the psyche, you know, the psycho-spiritual aspect and for physical healing. Right. And you bring up a good point with other plant medicines, you know, like cannabis um, has been legalized, although it is still considered a schedule one saying it has no medical value when, you know, we can see um, so much evidence to the contrary, you know, that it is. And so many stuff done, you know, other countries are, are way far ahead of us in that regard, you know, like Israel and some other places. And, you know, I agree with you. There definitely needs to be a lot more research and, you know, taking things like cannabis off schedule one is the definitely a step that has to be made. I mean, I don't see how they can continue to have this disconnect, mm -hmm. you know, where on the one hand, it's federally illegal, where the states are moving forward with decriminalizing and, and making cannabis legal. Um, so do you know, like the legal status, uh, ayahuasca is considered illegal, as, as far as you know, or? It's, uh, it's a bit tricky. So the plant medicines fall into a unique category for this reason. Um, for instance, um, ayahuasca itself is not illegal. However, DMT, which is the active alkaloid or the active ingredient, you'll call it, of ayahuasca, DMT is a Schedule one, right? So technically, yes, ayahuasca, that would make ayahuasca illegal. However, if you were to, you can go on eBay and you can buy the two different ingredients of ayahuasca legally, and it's not a problem. Wow. So it's really fascinating in that sense. And you had mentioned DMT, though, and just explain to people what that is. And there's also a great video. I think you can still get it on YouTube, the God Molecule, I think it's called, about DMT. But right. could, could you just explain that a little bit for people who've never heard of it? Yeah, DMT is dimethyltryptamine. Um, again, without getting into the technical aspects of it, because they right. won't really <laughs> register in the context of the conversation, it... Um, it has been isolated by itself. A lot of people have um, had DMT experiences either on their own or guided by a facilitator that many of them have said has been the single most profound experience of their life. Right? And it's in that context, it's typically inhaled. And the usual experience is that it is a very fast and fur furious experience, I call it. Within seconds of inhaling it, you're catapulted, a lot of people, into a realm that typically transcends or dissolves the ego. Um, it may or may not be a visionary experience, but the most common experience is that people experience um, unity and oneness. They experience what they refer to a direct uh, connection or communication with you know, what we're calling God. Um, they might have something similar to what we typically uh, refer to now as like a um, near-death experience. You know, they might meet entities, they might meet relatives. And um, the interesting thing about that is, as powerful as it is, the average duration of that journey is only about, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. And then you're literally back at baseline, you know, um, wow. for better or worse, <laughs> right after the experience. Yeah, so the thing about ayahuasca that's unique is that although it contains uh, DMT, it's not isolated. So the other alkaloids and aspects of the, the two plants are present. Because it is um, drunk as opposed to inhaled, you know, in the context of a ceremony, a, a good one, you know, that has all the good components of a, a ceremony, um, that experience goes from a 10 to 15 minute to a four to six, seven, eight hour experience. Right? 
And although it can be really powerful and uncomfortable, the beauty of that is that you are in, in that space for a long enough time that you actually get what we call work done, meaning you can actually spend time in the various realms of your psyche, you know, or what other people will call you, maybe other dimensions, you know, and long enough that you can actually access and hold on to what it is that you're gaining and be able to bring that back and integrate it into your life, right? I often say, you know, DMT is like having the veil of reality lifted and you get to peak, whereas ayahuasca is like the veil is lifted and you get invited in for a while, right? And then uh, export it Wow, that's so interesting. So I could see, I mean, what a big difference from, you know, I would think in that 15 minute or 10 minute experience with just DMT, it would probably take me, you know, that long to figure out what is happening, you know, so you wouldn't get the same benefit as you're saying from the longer experience that you would have with ayahuasca. But of course you would stress that when you are working with something like ayahuasca, that you find someone, I mean, you need to be guided through this. Is that right? Like that would be the best experience. It's not something that someone should just do on a recreational whim or something like that. Yeah. And you know, that's the um, classic and appropriately so advice for all plant medicines and psychedelics, because you just don't know, right? You, you really don't know what each experience is going to be like. And at the very least, it is recommended that you let someone that you know trust that you're going to be doing it, you know. And if it's if, if a solo journey is what you want, you know, then you want to make sure, ideally, that you have what we call a sitter or a guardian, and that someone that is aware that you're doing it and is maybe in the house or very nearby that won't participate or interrupt you, but is at least there on the off chance that something should go wrong. And let's be honest, sometimes things do go wrong, you know. Um, but in general, in, in in the context of ayahuasca. It's, it's rare that someone does that as a solo journey. Um, and the reason is that unlike uh, psychedelics, plant medicines, in this case, particularly ayahuasca, you cannot separate ayahuasca from the ceremony context itself. Right? They, so many people are starting to wake up to this. You know, the, the context of the ceremony, the combination of ayahuasca, the set, the setting, your intention the components of the ceremony, the music, what's being said, the sounds that you're hearing, all of those things come together and are what make ayahuasca such a potent healing modality. Right? So for that reason, you know, I never recommend that people um, do it alone. Uh, the very experienced people can, certainly. You know? But in general, across the board, you know, and I've been now working with ayahuasca, I'm entering the 28th year. Um, I would say less than maybe 10% of all people I've ever encountered that have worked with it a lot would say that a solo journey is okay or recommended. Most are going to say, find yourself a good ceremony or at least a really good uh, I'm talking with Tony Moss. He's an expert in ayahuasca and plant heal- healing modalities. And we're just talking about the benefits of ayahuasca and some of the research that's being done on these different plants. It's, it's just so interesting. So I've talked to a lot of people who have, you know, done ayahuasca. Well, not, not like a huge amount of people, but, you know, handful of people that have had that experience. And they share what you had mentioned of that feeling of, of love, that feeling of oneness and non-separation between themselves and 
other other people and, and the planet and just that overall feeling of well-being. I mean, it, it just makes me think like, what do you think would happen if, you know, you took like heads of state, you know, the, the Saudis and Iran and, you know, had an ayahuasca ceremony. I mean, do you think that would drop that, that veil of, of hatred? And I mean, I know that's a fantasy, but well, what do you think about that? <laughs> uh, the short answer is yes, uh, most likely. And what you're bringing up is a, a, a huge conversation that takes place in the world of plant medicines in general, but specifically ayahuasca. Um, and before I, talk, I want to back up, I, I, I appreciate what I'm referred to as an expert in quotation marks in plant medicines. And I just want to qualify, that's not the case. And why I say that is um, what I have is 27 plus years of experience. Um, both direct experience and a lot of uh, study and research. And um, because it's something that in a lot of ways I've dedicated my life to, the um, preservation and um, propagation, to I guess might be a good word, of the benefits of indigenous use of plant medicines. Um, in that sense, I would just definitely say that I'm well-versed in the subject at this point. But I'm learning all the time. As we mentioned, this kind of renaissance is opening up lots of new research. And even the people that have been doing this for many, many years are learning new things every few months, you know. Um, so I want to qualify that. But getting back to your statement, you know, it's a fascinating thing. A lot of people, when they hear that the main benefit of ayahuasca or the main, uh, I would say, kind of universal experience is a an experience of interconnectivity, you know, a feeling of one with the planet, that literally the Gaia, you know, the planet or the cosmos is talking to you. Right, directly, or that you have no sense of separation of that. Some people would think like, well, so what? Right? Well, here's the thing. What I personally have learned, and a lot of people that I know that uh, work with these medicines have talked about, if you look carefully, um, at the core of almost all of the challenges facing humanity, certainly the big one, climate change, fundamentally, at the core, cause of those problems is our loss of connection. This lack of connection with, with the planet, with animals, with each other, you know, with the cosmos, a loss of connection with spirit, whatever that is. And it's in the breakdown of that, this profound uh, misidentification with the ego and sense of separation and um, clinging to tribal or cultural senses of identity, you know, um, that we're in this mess that we are. The idea that someone would literally place their personal greed and gratification over the health of the ecosystem itself, right? These are all symptoms of that sense of separation. So it is ironic, you know, and synchronistic, you know, synchronistically beautiful, that at this particular point in history, when for the first time we are part of generation of people, you know, overlapping generations that literally can determine the fate of this planet and it's not looking good. It, it's a it's a beautiful irony that ayahuasca and plant medicines are having this resurgence at this moment, right? And I have been in ceremony with, you know, uh, executives from Silicon Valley, with some politicians, you know, Fortune 500, you know, type executives who have had profound experiences in one, ex one ceremony where they suddenly realize they can't continue business as usual, right? And they 
it's not like they didn't know it before, but it wasn't a visceral somatic experience strong enough for them to realize that it actually needed to start in some ways dictating their actions. Right? And for me personally, that's one of the reasons I think that decriminalization is so powerful. In addition to the, the personal seeking um, in the psycho-spiritual work that people are doing, you know, enough people connecting with plant medicines in an appropriate context can literally shift the direction that we're headed on this planet by expanding and I would think in some ways, uh, both expanding and uplifting, like our consciousness. Well, it's something that definitely needs to happen, you know, in, in light of everything that's going on, like you mentioned, you know, with climate change, with the fear that's being stoked for, you know, immigrants and, and people that look different than you do from other countries and, you know, just the, the lies and propaganda that's, that's spread about that. I mean, you just wonder what could happen, you know, if you went to the UN and, you know, people participated with, with an open mind. It, it's just kind of, it's kind of amazing to think about. It is amazing to think about. And it's all, it's been almost kind of a, a I don't know the word would be like a joke, you know, for many, many, many years. Uh, there's been this kind of ongoing meme, you know, amongst um, ayahuasca facilitators that wouldn't it be great if you could lock all of Congress and the president in the White House for a week, you know, and give them ayahuasca every night, right? If you looked back in history, you know, with tribal groups and nations, I mean, do you think that's a that's got to be a prerequisite to be a shaman or something like that, I would imagine, right? Well, for a shaman, of course, yeah. I mean, um, hands down, the, that is part of the prerequisite, you know, and it, it's arduous, you know, uh, in most Indigenous cultures, in the context of, say, of ayahuasca, but most of the plant medicine, um, most of the cultures that have plant medicines at uh, the core of their uh, healing or spiritual practice, the process of becoming what we're calling a shaman, a, a healer or a, you know, a spiritual advisor, you know, is a very arduous task. It's not taken lightly. It's grueling. You know, uh, it requires years and years, sometimes great isolation, uh, being in what we call a dieta, meaning a special diet where you are dieting, you're eating very little food, sometimes very little water, and you're mainly focused on ingesting the various healing plants so that you really understand them, right? And you build a relationship with them. It's only then that at some point, and of course, you're also getting experience with working with uh, a very experienced healer and the whole um, context of like ceremony and the healing practice and how that works. But the main focus is so that you have a very deep understanding of each plant. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back, continuing the conversation with Tony Moss, Ayahuasca and Plant Healing. Hi, I'm Reverend Linda Martella-Witset with Silent Unity, reminding you that we are here for you during the holidays to support you with affirmative prayer and inspiration. From all of us at Silent Unity, we wish you a beautiful and blessed holiday season. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm talking with Tony Moss about ayahuasca and plant healing and where this is going in the future, how it could affect you, how it could help you. Just really fascinating stuff, how this ancient uh, plant medicine, I mean, this has probably been around, you know, for thousands of years, is now being used uh, today for things like depression, PTSD, addiction treatment, and a lot more. 
And before the break, we were talking about, you know, how we could somehow dose Congress <laughs> with ayahuasca. Uh, you know, what a wish, right? Um, but but hopefully uh, at some point, you know, maybe, maybe those people will will wake up. But just really kind of recognizing the lack of, of oneness and, and communication that's going on right now. So um, we talked a little bit about, you know, what people experience when they're on ayahuasca and, and what they feel, um, you know, and how it's highly recommended that people if they're going to experience this, do this under the guidance of an experienced shaman or someone, you know, to lead them through the experience. But can you tell us what, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a a dark side to everything. I mean, what are some of the negative things that could possibly happen if you're experiencing this or going through an ayahuasca trip? Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad you bring that up because ayahuasca and the other plant medicines, uh, but in this context, ayahuasca, um, they're, they're romanticized like many things in the West. And well, you know, the interesting thing is they're either romanticized or demonized, right? Um, every few years I'll see some article that says something like, you know, uh, you know, woman dies as a result of ayahuasca ceremony. Your young man dies in Peru from take ingesting ayahuasca. That is yet to be true. And I, I, I can't stress that enough. To date, no one has died from ayahuasca itself. People have died in ceremony for complications related to ayahuasca. Typically, they're on uh, Western pharmaceuticals that are contraindicators. Um, there's been times when a uh, inscrupulous shaman has added what we call admixtures, where it wasn't just the two plants, but they added other things in that they thought would be beneficial. It turns out the person has a sensitivity or an allergic reaction. There have been times when um, a lack of uh, we call it guardianship, like really paying attention to the ceremony has resulted in someone choking on their vomit, you know, and then there has been violence, you know, there have been people that in that state, you know, someone has a psychotic break or something like it. And through some act of violence, someone gets hurt in ceremony, right? These are extremely rare. We're talking about thousands of people in the U.S. alone drinking ayahuasca every weekend, I guarantee it. And you hear very, very little, you know, negative, you know, about these experiences. However, they're possible, right? And that's why uh, choosing a, a facilitator or a you kudendero know, or shaman that has a reputation, you know, checking with other people is really important. Um, but more specifically, to answer your question, the, the, the darkest aspect and possibility of ayahuasca is that someone, we know that ayahuasca does not cause um, what some people call schizoid behavior. And I've been corrected lately that that's not an appropriate term you know, um, a psychosis, right? Um, it doesn't cause that. However, if you are predisposed to it, it can trigger it, right? And, and I've definitely seen that over the years. Now, the jury is out as to whether or not that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, um, if you are prone to schizophrenia, you're around 27 years old, which is typically the onset, and uh, you may not know that that's the case, and you have an ayahuasca experience, um, Unless you're in the hands of somebody really experienced, uh, you might not realize that what you're actually having is a classic psychotic break, not the healthy, beneficial psychotic break. And we'll, we'll talk about the difference between the two, but one that um, literally causes um, a break in your egoic structure in a way that you can't quite put yourself back together again. Right? That is really rare, but it happens, and it happens enough that is something to be uh, cautious about, particularly if you know going in that you have some issues, right? What I meant by the healthy one is um, one of the ways that ayahuasca works is that it pushes you kind of right to the edge of where your psyche, like your 
your known kind of grip and hold on reality is held together. And then it pushes you beyond that, right? And in that process, it opens you up to all new ways of looking at the world, looking at yourself. Subdued and suppressed aspects of yourself can rise to the surface, right? Traumas that have been buried can surface and be uh, met in a healthy way. Um, or you simply might, as we said earlier, have a, a really transcendent experience of the ego and suddenly experience what we're calling divinity or this unity you experience. Um, so all of those are what I kind of refer to as the healthy psychotic breaks, right? Um, but the, the, the dangerous ones and the challenging ones are also a possibility. So that's the main dark aspect, I would say, or the, the challenging aspect of ayahuasca that always has to be kept in mind. So if someone has experienced schizophrenia or maybe has those tendencies, should probably stay away from it. At the moment, yeah. It, at the moment, the general consensus, you know, when I uh, attend the various conferences, uh, the main one is uh, the MAPS conference, which happens every few years, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, I believe is uh, the acronym for what it's for. And uh, they, they're... It, it's maps that have really pioneered the the current uh, clinical trials, you know, that are making headway and um, you're really starting to remove the plant medicines and psychedelics from this prohibition. So at those conferences, one of the things that comes up all the time is a general consensus that ayahuasca is probably going to be beneficial in the field of mental health. However, it's too early to make a universal statement about that. And there's not enough research or experience for there to be any kind of like best practice laid out, right? So the general consensus is if you are suffering from something like, you know, schizophrenia, um, chances are you should probably stay away from ayahuasca, you know? Um, now I will say, you know, technically that would also include uh, bipolar disorder. However, over the last 10 years, I've talked to a lot of people who actually have been diagnosed with bipolar who told me that their experience with ayahuasca was um, the first thing that actually gave them some relief from the, I don't know, maybe symptoms of that and started to make them feel kind of whole and um, unified, you know. Um, so it's interesting. So that just kind of reinforces what I was saying earlier that, you know, um, it's too soon to know that if it could be universally beneficial uh, for treating, you know, any kind of mental disease. Um, however, you know, it, it's possible. It is. It's so interesting. And also in the, the treatment of PTSD with people coming back from war situations, you know, and, and you had mentioned where if people are dealing with buried trauma, how this can be so beneficial in in bringing it, bringing this up to be dealt with, you know, so that you can heal and move on. So while the actual experience of it, I'm sure it could be pretty intense and unbelievable, at that time, but the the effect after that can be life changing. From what I've read, have you seen that as well? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. I I, I literally have lost track. You know, and I would have to say in the hundreds minimum of people over the last just ten years, because the first um, fifteen years or so of me working with the uh, medicine, it was so underground that you weren't really necessarily hearing about a lot of other people's experiences, right? But that has shifted in the last 10 years, uh, thanks to the internet and the popularity and, you know, this kind of renaissance that we're in. We're calling it the psychedelic renaissance. Um, I have personally met hundreds of people who have told me that it was literally a life-changing experience. You know, you know I'll just give one example, you know, that's really concrete. 
um, a young lady participated in a ceremony that I uh, was in. And um, she, around six months or so after that ceremony, because we kept in contact, she finally sent me an email and said, I didn't want to tell you at first because I didn't want to jinx it. She goes, but she goes, prior to uh, drinking ayahuasca, I had tried every therapy and every substance on the planet to help me rid myself of this depression that I've had for most of my life, which has literally had literally become debilitating. And she said, I was on my last leg and I figured, well, I have nothing else to lose. I might as well try this crazy jungle broom. That's what she referred to it as. Right. And she said, I want you to know that from that Monday after that ceremony, which happened on a Saturday, she said, until now, six months later, she said, I have not had a single symptom of depression. I'm, That's it unbelievable. That's so great to hear. You know, so not, yeah, so not all cases are as dramatic as that. More often than not, people need to attend several, you know, a handful of ceremonies, if not a dozen. Sometimes people just have such profound experiences. They just decide that they want to study it for a while. They, they want to make it kind of their life path. You know, they want to integrate ayahuasca into their life in the same way that some people integrate you know, um, a religious practice or a spiritual practice. And that's all fine. You know, the, the point being that this is a reason why the research is so important and um, why, again, the decriminalization is so important. You know, I've met, she was just one example of hundreds of people from suffering from everything from anxiety, depression, certainly PTSD, you know, that have had such profound healing experiences with, you know, the plant medicine of ayahuasca that it's almost at this point a crime against humanity that is criminalized and can't be openly researched and, and have and given access to, you know, by people who need it and will benefit from it. And that's before we even talk about the psycho spiritual beautiful aspects of it and how that could literally raise consciousness on our planet. I wanted you to talk about that a little bit because I know you're really passionate about being able to keep this, you know, in in use the ceremonial use of it, the sacred use of of ayahuasca. And do you feel that it could really o- open people's minds and, you know, really bring, bring more love into the world with this? Well, it is doing that. Yeah, you know, it's, we don't have, uh, I've, I've said this many times, we don't have very developed language in the West for talking about spiritual, quote unquote, experiences, right? Um, almost anything in that realm that can't be put into a reductionist, materialist, scientific language is um, kind of discounted by a lot of people and considered woo-woo, right? And uh, and that's a disservice, you know, because I can tell you the, the the most common experience, as we said earlier, that people have with an ayahuasca experience is a profound awakening to a unity consciousness, meaning there's a transcendence of ego and they suddenly realize that they really are connected to everything, every person in the room, that they're not just connected to nature as something over there, but they literally are nature, you know? that there is no distinction. And when you get that, how you move on the planet, how you relate to other people, how you move and express yourself and relate to nature completely shifts. And if that were to happen with a significant portion of our, our population, what we're seeing now, the challenges we're having now, you know, of literally fighting to get people to make the kind of shifts necessary so that we can literally, you know, preserve life on this planet, that's what it's come to, that wouldn't be an issue. It would be a no-brainer, right? And uh, a lot of people, and literally thousands of them, you know, over the last 10 years, certainly, have told me that that was the single most profound experience, in addition to everything else that they got, 
they suddenly realized that um, everything that they, that the indigenous people or that a lot of spiritual teachings and texts and traditions had shared with them was true. You know, that we really aren't separate from the planet and that what we do to the planet as a Native Americans you know, famously say, what we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. You're a creative guy. I mean, the ability to not only open it us, open us up spiritually, but creatively, you know, the amazing places we can go, you know, and things we can see and, and bring back. And you feel that it can be kind of a, it's a spiritual journey. We can bring this stuff back, you know, and express it creatively. And I was listening on your site to some of the music that you've done, and we're going to hear a little bit of of that as well today. We're going to play some of it. So let's talk just for a minute about being able to open up that part of ourselves that we suppress so often, that creative part of ourselves? There's an interesting um, concept now. Um, Well, I'll back up. Uh, There's a book uh, called Stealing Fire. Um, I can't remember the author's name at the moment. And um, basically this book is, uh, in a nutshell, they're looking at what is called flow state, which Eckhart Tolle would just call the power of now. The state we get into where there's, um, extreme clarity, focus, and in that space, you have access to parts of your consciousness, or you might even say, you know, cosmic consciousness or spirit that you don't have access to in ordinary states of uh, consciousness. You know, so ayahuasca opens that space up for most people over a long duration of time, and in that huge downloads, we call them, of creative possibility uh, start to unfold. Whether you're uh, a visual artist, a musician, a, a scientist, you know, um, whatever your field of study is, the kind of mental blocks and chatter and conditioning that prevent you from having access to completely out-of-the-box ideas and possibilities and creativity suddenly opens up. So one of the things that's been really interesting over the years is how many artists participate in ayahuasca ceremonies on a regular basis, mainly because it is their main channel to this completely new access level of creativity. And that's certainly been my experience, you know. Yeah, both as a, a musician, a visual artist, you know, even as a, um, what I'm considered here in you know, Southern California, a, a community leader. And I'm so glad you mentioned the work that you're doing with your organization, I Am Life. And people can find out about that and more about your music on your site. And it's it, TonyMoss.com. Is that right? Um, so there's two sites. There's My personal site is TonyMoss.me. M-E. Got it. Mm-hmm. So check that out and, and check out Tony. And it's been so cool to talk with you about this. I learned a lot, and I'm sure that the listeners are going to get a lot of great information from this interview as well. You know, and definitely if you want to find out more about, you know, ayahuasca or can people contact you if they want to find out about reputable, what's the word? Reputable. (laughs) I messed up my word. You know, reputable people. I mean, do you recommend people to... Uh, lead someone through an ayahuasca ceremony? or Yeah, so here's the thing, and I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, qualifier, I can, because I'm a public advocate for the decriminalization of plant medicines, I can't, I can only ever talk about or recommend ayahuasca or plant medicine work where it's legal, right? So yes, people are welcome to contact me, you know, and I can let them know or give them, uh, point them in the direction of places where, um, you know, good, reputable, safe, and uh, experiences are being offered. Uh, what I can't do is shed any light on anything happening any place where it's illegal and, and won't. So I, for anyone that wants to know, is there anything happening in Connecticut? I won't even answer the so question. So don't go there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, since you're going to play grateful, I will share it. Um, one of the beautiful things that's come out of the um, ayahuasca in the West is something called neo-shamanic practice. And that is taking the best of indigenous practice, but uh, modifying it so that it, it's really suitable and accessible for Western people, Western culture and consciousness. And out of that has uh, grown this beautiful new modality, um, new meaning in its newness, called uh, medicine music. And it is, as opposed to the beautiful traditional uh, indigenous medicine music, it's music that artists and musicians are receiving while they're actually in the ceremony. So it becomes very potent healing medicine uh, within the ceremony itself. And I brought that up because Grateful, uh, which you want to share, is one of the songs that came out of that experience of a deep feeling. Um, I initially received it because someone in my life has passed away. And part of my uh, healing with that was an acknowledgement of how grateful I was to have been alive and something they had told me, which how grateful they were to have loved it all. And that is an example of what's called modern medicine music um, or contemporary medicine music. And that song, people have literally contacted me from all over the world saying that they were someplace at a yoga class or at a ceremony and that song came on and it completely altered their experience. And so I'm grateful, literally, that that's the one that you chose to share. When I was listening to the song on your site, I really got like uh, like a gospel feel. I mean, it, it has that you know that feeling, uh, very bluesy, just Absolutely. such a beautiful song. And and I thank you for letting me share it. And Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate oh, it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I'm thank you for sharing the information. It's really an honor to be participating. For the moonlight falling through the trees And for this ground beneath our knees For the memories of love we have known Forever grateful And for the pain, for the pain in all we have lost And for the sorrows we have caused Still we whisper grateful, so very grateful To have loved at all Forever grateful, yes. Forever grateful, yes. To hear the birds at dawn, they're singing grateful. So very grateful. Forever grateful, yes. I am forever grateful 
from Tony Moss. I'm Diane Ray. Thanks so much for listening. Here's a little more music from Tony with Herbert Quinteros. The song is called Kalyana Wind Song. And if you'd like to download the full version, go to Tony's website at tonymoss.me.
Kaliana Windsor Windsor calls But I've been away And I've been away And I've been away from you so Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.